Good morning. It's good to see you all. Glad you guys can be here. Happy uh, Super Bowl Sunday. Um, yep, yep. Ironically, we have all these Seahawks fans that go to our church now. Um, <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. That's all right. Um, it's interesting enough about the, the Super Bowl. I think they're the probably two most hated teams. Um, and the Lord showed that by bringing the rain and, and everything else. And, uh, but anyways. Um, hey, if this is your first time here, I normally don't hate on football teams, uh, usually, <laughs> from, other, from other states. Um, um, but my name is Ricardo. I'm one of the pastors. We have been going through a series called Spiritual Rhythms, and we've been doing this for our three weeks. This is our fourth week, and we're going to conclude that series this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand and keep it raised high. If you're in the overflow rooms, go ahead and keep them raised high, and then we're going to get you a copy of, of, of God's Word. If you don't own a Bible, hear me, this is our gift to you. Please keep it as we can grow in the knowledge of the Lord uh, together. And if you have the Bible we're handing out, we're going to be on page 622. 622. Now, as you turn there, uh, a couple announcements. One, on your way in, you should have received one of these event cards. If you did not, make sure you grab one in the Connect Desk on your way out. Um, this is our way of getting you in your hands everything that's happening month to month. And so for the first Sunday of every month, we will have these event cards. A couple things I want to highlight. Um, it's one, this upcoming Wednesday, we have the first First Wednesday, Wednesdays of 2015. And if you're not familiar with First Wednesdays and what First Wednesdays is, um, it is our opportunity to have a conversation of theology and culture and how they intersect. And so we, we take topics um, in a venue like this. There's tables around. There's food provided and dinner. And then we have a speaker talk for about 30 minutes. And then we have live texting questions to be able to facilitate questions that come from that particular topic. It's, a, it's an amazing time. And so this upcoming Wednesday, we have Bethany Jenkins with us. And um, she is a woman from New York City that is very, very thoughtful, writes really well, speaks really well. And we're going to have her talk about every square inch. And so the subtitle there is Toward a Vision of Work, Calling, and All of Life. And so if you've been around redemption for some time, you've heard that phrase, all of life is all for Jesus. Um, and what we mean by that is that God himself owns all things, and it is on us to respond to the gospel to see how we can bring our entire life under the lordship and reign of who God is. And so Bethany will come and talk about that about primarily vocation, work, what does it look like to be a stay-at-home mom, what if I love my job, what if I hate my job, what if I don't have a job, um, she's going to be able to address those things. And so if you've never been, we'd love to see you guys on Wednesday night. Bring a friend. We'll see you there. Second thing I want to highlight is next week we are launching our Peoria camp congregation, and so Redemption Peoria will get started next week. Uh, we're excited about that. Sean Myers is the lead pastor there, and um, if you know anybody that, that lives in the Peoria West Valley area, go ahead and send them to redemptionaz.com, and they can look for the Peoria congregation. Um, I'll probably never go because I don't travel west of the 17 unless I'm on my way to Cali. Um, so, but if you guys know people that are up there, by all means... Um, Send them to Redemption Peoria. Lastly, excited about this. We start a new series next week. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. And uh, we're going to spend the rest of the year looking at this gospel. Personally, myself, I have yet to teach through uh, a book of the a gospel. Um, I taught through a book of the Bible, Romans, for 17 years. And, um, and now, we're doing, now we're going to do the Gospel of Mark. And um, listen, if you are not a follower of Jesus, right, and you've just been checking out Redemption, Make sure you come back and listen to the, the, the story that Mark tells about Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. If you're a Christian, make sure you come back. If you're human, 
come and be a part of the Gospel of Mark uh, series. And so looking forward to that. And that's going to begin next week. So that's all I have time for. Time of announcements. So let's jump back into this series and conclude this series. And so here's why we started Spiritual Rhythms. We know that the beginning of the year for most people is a time in which they set out goals and things that they want to be able to do that they never accomplish. Um, and so what we wanted to say is what are rhythms that we can have? Things that we can do to access the grace of God that's already been extended to us through Christ Jesus. And so week one, we started with a busy life and a busy year. How about we start with understanding rest and how Jesus invites us into his rest through his words that all who are weary and heavy laden, come to him and you will find rest in his grace. And so we looked at that. And what does the rhythms of Sabbath and rest look like? And then week two, Jim came and he taught about listening. And how we hear from God's word and we speak to him through prayer. And how prayer and listening are two ears for the heart in which we understand and know God. And last week, we talked about the rhythm of giving and caring for people and stewarding our resources in such a way uh, to advance God's kingdom as best as we possibly can. And then today, we'll conclude with witness or um, public faith or evangelism. We'll explain these terms in a second. Um, and that's what we're going to look at uh, this morning um, in, in our text. Now, before we, we, we jump into this, um, let me kind of give you the flow and structure of what we'll do. I want to go through uh, Paul's message here and look at a few ways in which we can evangelize. Now, I understand in a room like this, plenty of you have been a part of campus ministries. You've been a part of uh, ministries uh, that, that teach you how to evangelize. You know better books than I probably read and better evangelists and so forth. We're not going to talk exhaustively about evangelism. I understand that there's a million methods to evangelize. I promise to try not to belittle all of them. Um, and how the point is not giving you new methods, but mainly actions in which we can take um, those of us in this room who are Christians to be able to share our faith with people. And then for those of you in the room who are not Christian, you came to the perfect Sunday, you can go, oh, I know your strategy now. All right, so that's going to be really good. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me before we jump into God's Word? Father, we thank you. Um, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to sing and have you minister us to us through your Word and the gifts of the members of the band uh, to bless us, Lord that we may seek you and follow you. We thank you for the holy scriptures in which you give us, the unchanging truth of Christ. We thank you for the many, Lord, who are here with us today that have never trusted in you, Lord. We thank you for their friendship and love. And we thank you, Lord, that you have opened up your, your arms and your, the door to your, to your home, Lord, that we may enter into your family through the life and love of Christ, Lord. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so when it comes to evangelism, Ron, first of all, um, when you hear that word evangelism, many of us have ideas of what that looks like. And oftentimes those ideas and those visions are not very good, right? You kind of have the extremes. You have, you have the guy, if you've ever been to college, right? No matter what college you went to, this guy somehow is everywhere. Uh, he usually hangs out by the memorial union or something, and he's standing up on something, and he's basically telling everybody they're going to hell. All right, that's, how, that's, his, that's his strategy. And so basically, it, it, at ASU, we had Brother Jed. Brother Jed's still there, by the way. And, and Brother Jed, it almost is like Brother Jed would look at whoever was walking by, describe that person, and why that person was going to hell. It was like, if you're tall, you're going to hell. If, if, if you're pigeon-toed, you're going to hell. And I'm walking, I'm going, is that me, right? If you got spaghetti strap, rocket dogs, whatever it is, right? And you look at that form of evangelism, you go, if that's evangelism, man, I don't want any part of it at all, right? That, that, I, don't, I don't want it. And on the other hand, you have family members, friends, maybe you yourself, you've been to these crusades like Billy Graham, and these, you've read about these men and women who are just great evangelists and how they filled stadiums with thousands of people who give their life to Jesus. And you look at that and you go, I, 
I don't even know a thousand people, right? I don't have the ability to share like that. I'll never be Billy Graham. And here's the reality. You won't, right? You won't. And so we, we, we kind of sit in between going, I don't, I don't want to be this particular view over here because that seems abrasive and offensive. But over here, I feel like I, I'm not that person. I, I read the Apostle Paul and I see what he did and I see all the things he did and I go, I, I'm just a mother. I, I'm just a child or um, I'm just me. What, what do I do? And, and I want to be able to speak in the in-between. How do we begin to share our faith in very normal everyday lives, the lives that you and I naturally live? Because oftentimes what you hear is a big motivation, rah, rah, let's go get them team type of approach. And you're like, who are we getting, <laughs> right? Like, it, it doesn't need to be like that. You need to be you because God made you, you. And he didn't make anybody else like you, and nobody can do you better than you. So how do you now, in the name of Christ, those of us who are followers of Jesus, begin to understand what it means to share our faith? And so here are the three points we're going to walk through. One is, it's going to, first is going to be, there needs to be intentionality and flexibility. And we'll walk through that. Number two is love. I shouldn't have to say this, but you need to love people. And then number three, shouldn't have to be said too, but it needs to believe in the gospel yourself. If you're going to share the gospel, you better believe it, right? And, um, and so we'll walk through these, these three uh, points. And then also there's two questions I want to I answer uh, at, the, at the end of our time. So if you have your Bibles again, why don't you go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9 as we begin to look at this, what Paul says here. Now here's the context as you turn there. Um, the context here is Paul's writing to this church. We talked about this church last week. Very young church, urban church. Uh, it's, an, in, it's an area where it's a port city. There's different cultures, different beliefs, meaning it's a pluralistic society like ours where people are believing in different gods. There's economic diversity. There's racial diversity. And Paul, as a missionary, is trying to ask the question, of how do I bring the gospel to bear, this good news of Jesus, in a place like this? And how do I begin to show them the love of Christ? How would I begin to communicate this? And, and explicitly, but because we're talking about evangelism, I think it's helped for us to have some definitions. And so on one hand, when we use the phrase evangelism or public faith, it, first evangelism in its, in its very definition means to share the gospel, to talk about the gospel. There, there's this quote by uh, St. Francis, Francis of Assisi that is a tribute to him that he never said, is that preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And there, there's a lot of humility to that. Like, I get that, and I like that. However, the gospel is an event that happens that you have to tell people about, meaning you have to use words. And when you look at the ministry of St. Francis of Assisi, he preached the gospel. Now, I'm all for good works, and I'm all for good deeds. I'm all for justice and showing that, that people may see our Father and glorify him. But eventually, we need to tell them about our Father and about his son Jesus using words. I mean, people just don't see us making sandwich, sandwiches to feed the homeless, and they go, oh, is that a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I'm a sinner, and the blood of Jesus covers me, right? They don't see that. We have to be able to tell people why the gospel is, what the gospel is, and how it's good news to them. And so here's a definition of evangelism that David Bosch has that I, I believe is helpful for us, and it's comprehensive. He says, evangelism is the proclamation of salvation in Christ to those who do not believe in him, calling them to repentance and conversion announcing forgiveness of sins, and inviting them to become living members of Christ's earthly community and to begin a life of service to others in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's keep this up for a second. One, it's evangelism is a proclamation, meaning you speak, you tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done. And that people now, in response to that, they repent and believe. So repentance is a word that means turning from one way and view in which you lived to following and placing faith in Christ Jesus. 
And it says that you let them know the forgiveness of sins, inviting them to become of Christ's living community, earthly community, which is the church. It's not the building. It's the people. It's the people of the church and that we are led by the Holy Spirit to begin to serve others. And so evangelism um, is proclamation. And so he says that. And the other phrase that we'll use, and you'll hear us using this a lot this year because we're, gonna, we're trying to push our, to- our church more towards what it means to have public faith. And what I mean by public faith is this. Um, there's there's a f- groups of people, if you want to categorize them, if you can do that, um, when it comes to faith. For whatever reason, it used to be if someone, like when I wasn't a Christian and someone said, hey, I'm a Christian, I'd be like, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, that's good. I'm sure, right? Um, or people would say, I'm glad that works for you. Increasingly, if you say you're a Christian, people are offended. And there's a, there's a growing level of hostility because of whatever reasons. And with that, I think that what it's produced in some people is this first group of people, they become what I would call private. And private is they have a belief in Jesus. They love him. They want to follow him. And they have a lot of friends that don't know Jesus. However, when they're with their friends, when they're in conversations with their friends and doing work and life with them, never once do they ever let their friends know that they're Christians. And so basically they're really private. And the other group is what I would call secluded. These are people who love Jesus and they love the word of God and they believe in the gospel and yet they don't have any Christian friends, right? These people are usually called pastors. Um, (laughs) People work at churches, right? The reality of it is I do think it's somewhat ironic and somewhat hypocritical for pastors to be like, hey, you got to share your faith. Tell your friends because I don't have any, right? And um, that's a problem, right? But they're secluded people and people, you you know people like that, is that you you just want to be around Christians and only Christians. You know what? I understand that too. Guys, that's not bad. Many people join a small group or redemption community because they're like, listen, my entire life is with people who have different views than me. It is good sometimes to be um, with people who share the same values and beliefs that I have. So there's nothing wrong with that. However, what we're secluded people oftentimes don't have the relationships to be able to ever share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus. And then you have public faith. And public faith people are, are, are people who love the gospel, love Jesus, live into it, and then also have friends and family members and coworkers and deep relationships of people who don't know Jesus. And we're trying to say, we're trying to push more people from the private and from the secluded into the public faith. And I believe Paul gives us um, a good example and a model of what that looks like. And so be, before we um, look at the text, understanding a little bit of Bible study is that um, when you read through the Bible, some things are descriptive and some things are proscriptive, right? So prescriptive, like this is what you should do. And then some things are descriptive. This is what I did. This is what happened. I believe what Paul is talking about here is descriptive, how he went about sharing the gospel in this place. However, I do think it has uh, shaping implications on those of us who follow Jesus and what we can glean and what we can learn about this um, process of being able to be someone who shares our faith and has public witness. And so again, point one here is that we need to have intentionality as well as flexibility. Pick up with me in verse 20 in chapter 9. Paul says this. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Verse 20. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by means I might save some. Okay, here's what Paul's talking about. As you hear this, you go, law, 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 law. I have no idea what Paul's talking about, right? Um, And that's why I'm supposed to tell you what he's talking about. So here's what Paul is doing. Paul finds himself again in this very diverse area, and he's going, how do I begin to communicate the gospel? 
Because like most cities then and most cities now, people segregate with each other, people who look like each other, people who act like each other. And so he goes, when I'm around my friends who are Jewish, what he began to do is he says, I understood their culture and I entered in. Um, and he knew that culture very well. Um, and when he says the law, he's talking about what Jewish people knew from the time that, the time that they were kids. And that law was not the law of the land, but it was the law of God. What they begin to hear about in the Torah, which is, this is the five first, first books of the Bible that we read about in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then that law, Paul begins to talk about in most of his letters how we're freed from that law in Christ Jesus. There's a freedom through grace. However, he says, but when I'm with Jewish people, in my freedom, I begin to do the things that they do. Now, let me tell you this. Paul is not saying he has chameleon faith, which what many of us have. Chameleon faith is you know, whoever I'm around, I just kind of become like them. I kind of act like them. I grow like them and so forth. No, he, there, there's a difference here. What Paul is talking about here is, is I just know who they are. Now, it was easier for Paul because he was also Jewish, um, but he can enter into their lives. And so what that may look like is this. When, when Paul was hanging out with his friends that were Jewish, right, and that were not followers of Christ, and they were at work together, and they were like, let's go get some, let's get some lunch, Paul. Paul wasn't like, hey, let's go to this pork barbecue place, right? He would have never done that, right? He would say, wherever you guys want to go, we're going to go to a kosher place. We'll eat some, you know, that's what he would have done, like, because he would have understood their culture. He wouldn't have offended them for no reason. Well, then when Paul says, okay, so I did that with the Jews, but then to the weak, I became weak. Now, no, one, no one's going, oh, yeah, I think I'm the weak, right? Nobody wants to be called weak. So let's understand what Paul is saying here. Paul, in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, as well as in Romans, he begins to talk about what the weak is. The weak were normally Jewish people who had been grown up in the Jewish laws who could not eat and participate in drinking and eating in certain contexts. Now, the backstory of that was in a pluralistic society, people were offering sacrifices of meat and animals uh, to to different gods. And so they would have a, a, a religious ceremony and sacrifice to some god that the Jewish people didn't believe. And then because it's like the sacrifice and because people have been caring about the market ever since, there was some savvy business person would come to these altars and go, hey, when you guys are done with that meat, can I, can I have that? I'm going to sell it, right? I'm like, sure, you can sell it. So he'd take the meat and he would take it to the marketplace and then sell the meat. And then they would cook the meat and be at people's houses. And there were people who by their own conscience would go, I don't know where this meat has been. I don't know who it's been offered to, so I'm not going to eat it. Now, what Paul says is, in the gospel, you're free to eat that meat if you want. But there were some people who didn't eat meat. And he was saying the people that didn't meat were weak. The people who don't eat meat were weak, he said, right? And so, no, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't say that. So, that the people who didn't eat meat that they thought were offered to gods. Okay, let's be very clear here. So in that, he says, to the weak, I became weak. So Paul was like, no meat for me. No meat, no matter how it's cooked. I'm just not going to do it because I love this person. Okay, what's, what's happening here? What Paul is doing is he's just being intentional. Guys, you don't have to go find somebody. You don't have to go, where is the person, God, that you were telling? Just who's around you? Who do you work with? Who lives in your, your house? <laughs> Who lives in your neighborhood? Who do you go to school with? How about you just get to know them? What's offensive to them? What do they like? You know how you do this? This is a weird thing called asking a question and listening. It's weird. And, and um, in fact, Francis Schaeffer, who's a brilliant thinker, he says, if I had 60 minutes to spend with somebody, I would spend the first 55 minutes asking questions and listening and the last five minutes telling them about Jesus. If you gave me 60 minutes... This is what I would be able to do. You get to know people. You don't assume things about people. 
You ask, what are your fears? What are your dreams? What are your aspirations? What you'll find out is a lot of the same things that they fear and the same things they dream about are the same things as you. Like they care about the school systems as much as you care about the school systems. They care about the political climate as much as you care about the political climate. You might have different ways in how you view it, but they care about it. And then you begin to understand, oh, this is what my friend is like. I'm not trying to say that you need to understand everything about all people, but you do at least understand about the people that you do know. That there's a level of intentionality. This could look like instead of just bringing your own Lunchable to your cubicle um, <laughs> and eating by yourself, <laughs> that you would actually go to lunch with everybody else. That when everybody goes out after work to this thing called happy hour, that you should probably maybe, maybe if it's, if it's in your conscience, that you should be with them, to be present with them, intentional. And so not, it's, it's playing outside in the front yard as opposed to the backyard because you might actually meet your neighbor. It's interesting. Jesus says this, love your neighbor. And we're all like, oh, I wonder who he means. Maybe it could be the person who lives next door to you, right? <laughs> There's all these books. Who's my neighbor? <laughs> Him, her. <laughs> I know that's a little sarcastic, but there, there's a level of you just, you're being intentional. Now, with intentionality also comes flexibility, guys. And what I mean by flexibility is you can't overplan your life that you make no room for the Holy Spirit to bring people in your life. And I, I tell you, churches have done a, a good job at helping you overplan your life. Um, <laughs> so all, that's the only amen I've gotten in the last three years. Uh, so, and here's why. We program, 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 program. There's a ministry for this, a ministry for that. There's a ministry for ministries that we could start. And so what happens is you, your friends will invite you to something like, hey, can you come to my friend's birthday party? Or can you come to my son's birthday party? Sorry, we have a class being offered on how to go to your friend's birthday party. And, be, and so, so I, can't, I can't make it and, and, and so forth. And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek because we need programs, but sometimes you can have too many things going on. And in your own life, you can have too much planned. All you planners out there. How about you plan to have time that's not planned? <laughs> so that people may come into your life. People may actually come into your home, that you may be able to go to their birthday parties and just be there. It, it, it's just being intentional and also being flexible. Paul says, listen, I did that. He's just saying with the Jews, this is what I did. I ate like this, I drank like this, I was with them. And then to the week, I was like this. He goes, I did all things for this reason, that I might win some. Like he cared about them in such a way. And we all know people um, like that in our lives that are, that are examples like that, that even before we became Christians, that they made Christianity plausible. There was a guy on my team named Ishmael. And if you don't know the Bible story uh, about Ishmael, it's ironic that the one Christian guy that I knew was named Ishmael, which is not a real big Christian name. Um, and he was just godly. I mean, I, I can't, uh, he was just godly. Like he was, a, he was a guy that I look at and go, if I were a Christian, I know what it would look like. That every single person in this room that's, that's a Christian, that you should be like that for the people around you. That your friends that are with you today that are not Christians, they should say, you know what, I don't believe what you believe, but you know what, I know what it would look like if I did follow you because it's normal, right? I do think that a lot of times as Christians, we spend so much time trying to be different that we become weird in the name of Jesus, right? If you, if you being you is weird, be weird, just, that's just you, right? But if it don't do anything extra, it doesn't help the cause, When it, when, it, when it comes, when it comes to the, my friend Ishmael, he would be at the clubs with us, and he would be the designated driver, and he literally would bus, like, bus us home. You guys stay here. I don't want you guys driving. I'm going to take them home. I'm going to come pick you up. 
Ishmael would, would be, uh, every conversation we had, he'd have a conversation about the same thing we were talking about, but just in a different way. We'd be talking about girls, he wouldn't be talking about girls. And, and it was just, it was every, every, he had a view on things that was neither preachy, nor was he ever ashamed of what he believed. Like there was no doubt in our mind, we knew he believed in Jesus because he told us. And so when I began to embrace faith, it was easy for me to go, oh, I know what it looks like. Because the last four and a half years, I've been watching this guy do it. I've been watching him live it. And he's been caring for me and so forth. He's always made time for me. He was intentional and he was flexible. And all we're saying is, that, that's what that begins to look like. You don't have to go look for it. It's the people in your life and being intentional, intentional about what God has already placed before you. And so how do we do that? Or even more so, why do we do that? And why does Paul do it? And I think Paul begins to answer this um, with, you read with me in verse 23. He says this, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessing. Paul says, I do it for, for the gospel, for this good news. I, I, I do it because what God has done for me that I may share in it with them. Notice Paul is not saying, I do it so they can be like me. I do it so they can vote like me. I do it because their life is a mess and their, their, their lives are horrible and they're bad people and only be good people as if they would believe like me. He doesn't say, I do it for the gospel, the same thing that God did for me, I'm trying to do for them and share with them. It's, it's love. So there's intentionality and flexibility, but we do it because we love people. Like Christians are called to love people. Not when people get their act together, not when they figure out the Christian vernacular, to love them for who they are as humans, as co-image bearers of God, no matter what they believe in, no matter what they say, no matter what criticism they have of your particular faith or what you do or what you don't do, you love them. Paul says it this way in Corinthians, for the love of Christ controls or constrains, or he says compels me, because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And the one who died, he died so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but live for the one who died for them and was raised again. He goes, I do everything out of this motivation of love, just to love people. Because here's what we'll do when it comes to quote-unquote evangelism. We will try to, the language is, do something so you can build a platform, or do something so you can win the relationship, or do something, and it becomes a project when we're really talking about people. People, like you and like me, they're people. They're not projects. Right? And so if we're not loving somebody, I think we're not really understanding and living in the implications of the gospel. There's a couple other things we need to understand, too, when we, when we enter in these conversations, being intentional and flexible and loving people. And I'll, I'll share two stories. The first one was uh, me and my buddy A.T. And we were sitting down um, at, at a restaurant here called uh, Four Peaks. And we're sitting down there, and then we're having a conversation, and it begins to talk about Jesus, and he's asking me questions, and I'm asking him questions, and he's not a follower of Christ, and we're going back and forth to the point where it's getting heated. Now, I've been in plenty of arguments with him before I was even a Christian, and now it just basically looked like the same way except for I'm talking about Jesus. And I had this moment in me, and I'm not proud of this, where I thought, oh, I got him on the ropes. <laughs> I'm, about to go for the, I'm about to go for it right now. He's going to be out. And um, he finally goes, you know what? I think there's some validity in what you're saying, Ricardo. He goes, but you know why I keep arguing with you? I feel like you just want to be right, and I don't want you to be right. And I'm like, but you did say I was right, though, right? <laughs> Honestly, I, 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 sl I, I slunched down in my seat because I felt convicted. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, it became about me being right. Listen, guys, we don't have to worry about being right if Jesus is the truth. We don't have to win the argument. You don't have to win the argument. Like, no one's ever been beaten up into Christianity, right? 
Um, our friends who are not Christian that say things like, you can't force religion on me, they're right. You can't, you can't even force it on your kids. You can live into it. You can be an example of it. You can tell them about it. You can't force it on them. And so we have to realize that. And on the other hand, for those of us who think that people need Jesus because their moral activities are wrong and so forth, and it becomes this behavior modification project, you don't really understand the gospel and its implications as well. Here's what I mean. There are people in this room and in your life and in your family that don't know Jesus who are more moral than you, (laughs) who are more moral than me and so forth, who love their neighbors better than you, who are more generous than you, and they don't believe in Jesus and so forth. That is called God's common grace to people. And so we can't say, well, Christians are better. What? That doesn't make any sense. The very nature of how we became Christians is this theological concept called grace, undeserving. God wasn't going, oh, they're gracious. Get them on the team. Get them on the team before they sign with somebody else, right? <laughs> he, 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 didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say that. He looked at us in our place, and that's how, that's how he's calling us to love, guys. All you got to do is start living into the very thing that you believe, right? My Bible, my Bible tells me that God wasn't waiting for me to figure it out before he embraced me. In fact, my Bible tells me that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And you could personalize that. While I was a still a sinner, Christ died for me. He wasn't waiting for me. He loved us because he loved us. When those of us who are followers of Christ begin to embrace the magnitude and the implications of that truth, then we look at people where they are, not who they could be, not the future version of them, not the upgraded version of them, not the I-6 version of them. We look at them for who they are, and we love them. We love them because we were loved in Christ Jesus. And so, yes, there's intentionality and flexibility, but we don't do it because of what they could become or what better life they could have had, right? I shared a story of me and my buddy in AT. Let me tell you about this, this other story. Uh, my friend Katie, and I've shared this before. When I had barely embraced Christianity, um, I started inviting her to this thing called the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We had this meeting, and, and, and someone would talk about Jesus, and it was great. And so finally, we were going to Staples to get some, some supplies or something. And she goes, hey, I got a question for you. And I said, what? She goes, why do you keep inviting me to FCA? I'm like, because you're a Christian. She goes, no, I'm not. I'm like, you're not? And she goes, no, what makes you think I'm a Christian? And I was like, well, you don't get drunk. You don't smoke weed. You're a Christian. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And she was like, you're right. I don't get drunk. I don't smoke weed. I don't even sleep around. I've never been with a person sexually. I give everything I have away. I'm a pretty generous person. And she goes, but, but, um, So why do I need Jesus? How is the gospel good news to me? Why do I need this? Because she got me. You know why she got me? And my very reduced understanding of the gospel. The gospel was, I used to be bad, and I used to be drunk, and I used to smoke weed, and now I love Jesus. I don't smoke weed, and I try not to get drunk. And that moment in my life right there, right? Like that's, so good news. He saved me from those things. But I didn't understand the hope of the gospel, my need of Christ. And, and the reality of it is when she told me, she said, I think I'm better than most Christians. She was right. And everything in me wanted to go, no, you're not. But then I was thinking, yeah, you, you, let's get the stuff we needed from Staples. <laughs> right? We have people in our lives that are like that. And we, we just, we love them though. We love them and begin to hold out the good news that we all need. That Christianity in itself is not about being moral. First and foremost, 
Christianity is not about not doing bad things and coming to Jesus and so that you don't have to do more bad things. It is about the love of Christ that we receive through his life and his death and his resurrection. And it gives us a new life and a fresh view on the world and meaning and understanding and, and complete wholeness and a, and a promise of a future life with Christ. It's not just what you do and what you don't do. And so when we engage that way, we understand, one, we're not trying to win an argument. One, we're not trying to make people just better people. We're trying to show them the life and love of Christ that has been shown to us. Amen? Let me, let me show you an example of what this was like. Um, I was thinking about this this morning, and I, and I text this guy this morning, and I just I thank him for his persistence. Um, when you try to share with people, don't always expect for them on the moment to drop to their knees, give their life to Jesus, and so forth, and you tally mark on another one, right? It takes time. And especially in our culture, it takes multiple different venues and people and conversations and so forth. But... Um, um, there was a guy, his name is Mike Sanfratello, and he works for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and we call him Fro, which the irony is he's a six-foot-four tall, bald guy um, that we call Fro, but um, he, he was our team chaplain, and this guy was just faithful. His presence was faithful. And every, every, after every practice, we'd talk with him, hey, Fro, how's it going? And he'd just like, kind of jab it up with this, and then he'd kind of get to, hey, you know, we're having a Bible study tonight, and then I'd be like, oh, tonight, oh, man, a chemistry. I've never taken a chemistry class. And I had a chemistry class or something like that, and now I got this class, and he had this phrase that I love, and I still use today. Every time he's like, you want to go to the Bible study? Oh, I have class. He goes, don't let education, he goes, don't let school get in the way of a good education. And I was like, <laughs> I never went, but when it came time, after five years, being in college, <laughs> when it came time for me to, to ask questions about the Lord, I knew exactly who to go to because that man had been so faithful, so present, never preachy, never pushy, always holding out the gospel and its hope, always being there, being there for me. I mean, just consistently that I remember finding his email address, sent him an email and said, hey, are you still doing those Bible studies because I want to go? And he says, we don't have a Bible study. However, I can make one so that you would come. <laughs> right? You got you to understand who this is. And on, honestly, it was huge for me. And honestly, that dude just loved me. He loved me in a way that, that, that I think that only he could, and I, I trusted him. I trusted him. He wasn't someone who was just trying to bait and switch me so that I can sign a card or raise my hand. He loved me. It's amazing what will happen if we have intentionality and flexibility. And what will happen is we actually engage people in love and in love. This, this last point should come as a no-brainer to us, but sometimes it doesn't. And that is, we have to begin to believe the very message that we preach. Here's what I mean by that. Oftentimes, Christians think, I've already believed that Jesus has died for my sins. Therefore, I don't need the gospel anymore. I need something else. There's nothing else. <laughs> the very thing and power that makes you open your eyes to see Jesus is the same thing that makes you grow in him. It's the very thing in which we need every single day. It is, it is, it is our life. It is our lifeline. And so what I mean by that is sometimes we think the gospel are for only for people who don't know God yet and so that they can believe in God and then they'll be okay. No, no, no. The Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul doesn't believe that. The, all right. The Apostle Paul, he wrote half of the New Testament. I don't know what you've been up to lately, but someone who's, who's written half of the New Testament is going, I need it. In fact, here's what he says here in verses 24 to 27. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. 
But I discipline my body and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Here's what Paul does. Paul takes this um, metaphor. What, what, he, what Paul does, clearly, and he likes, like, like me and every other godly person, sports. And so he takes this, this, this illustration here, or this metaphor, because in Corinth they had these games. And they were like the Olympic games. And the people who would compete in these games would go through strict training. 10 months of training. There's certain things that they could eat and they couldn't eat. There's certain people they could talk to and not talk to. And the goal was to go through this strict training in order that you may compete to win a prize, this reef. And you've probably seen pictures of those, those reefs, like foliage, and they would just die off, right? And he says, I, I want to train that way. Like, I want to be intense about that. He goes, but they, they do it to receive a prize that eventually is going to fade to black. What we're after is something that won't. It's going to last forever. He's talking about life with Jesus. And he goes, and so I, I beat my body and I make it a slave. Listen, he's not literally saying, like, he's slapping himself. He's, why are you slapping yourself type stuff, right? He, he, he's, he's saying there's a discipline in his own life because he knows, he knows that the currents of our culture and our life will get us to drift from the main thing in Jesus. And so he puts things in his place. He puts the proper things, whether it be like rest and reading God's word, these practices in his life that he disciplines because he knows he wants to keep his eye ultimately on the prize. He's not saying I'm doing something to actually earn salvation, all right? That would contradict everything Paul talks about grace and salvation. But what Paul is saying is there, is a, there are things in which we can do to make sure that our eyes are fixed upon Christ and we're receiving the blessings of grace in which he's given us. And he says, I, I want to do this so that after talking to other people, that I might not, might not be disqualified. And disqualification came with not living up to the rules. Paul says, I'm not deflating balls. I'm going to play by the rules. <laughs> I didn't do that first hour, but that just came to me. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> he says, I want to play by the rules. I want to do what it is that God calls me to do, right? And here, here's the reality. Oftentimes, when we're preaching the gospel to people, our lives are inconsistent with what we say. Our lives are inconsistent. We're telling people, oh, the gospel is the meaning to life, <clears throat> and yet we find ourselves seeking the approval of people more than we understand the approval that we already received from God. Oh, the gospel humbles me. My theology, it humbles me, and yet you become the most arrogant people that you know. You know why the gospel would humble us? It's because we were so bad that the God of this universe had to die for us. That's what it tells us as Christians. <laughs> but it gives us his unbelievable confidence because we are so loved in him that he was pleased to do it. When you understand that you're saved by grace, not anything else, guess what? You cannot look down your shoulder or your nose towards anyone who believes something different than you. Anyone who fails in areas that you would never fail in. You can never look at anybody else and go, ooh, man, they're most, they, they're, man if God would save them, man, that would be amazing. Really? When I first became a Christian, this girl said to me, she goes, I've been praying because I grew up in a Christian family, in a Christian home, and I've always known Jesus. Lord, can you save somebody that would just show me that you were in the business of saving people? When God saved you, I, that was an answer to prayer. And I thought, oh. <laughs> Is that what you were praying for? <clears throat> and, and at the time, I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. And then the more I grew in my faith, I realized, wait a minute, that was fundamentally something she didn't see. You know whose sin you should see the most? Your own. And when you begin to understand that if God would save me, man, he can save anybody else. Maybe it's that God already loves your neighbor more than you do, and all you're doing is joining in what God has already begun. <laughs> can you think about that? That maybe God doesn't need you, but he invites you to, be a, to participate in what he's doing. 
that when it comes to this last point, every single day we have to tell the gospel to ourselves because we all are massively insecure. And sometimes we'll use the preaching of the gospel in our religion as a way to, ha- to mask instead of hiding in Christ and being completely loved and accepted and the freedom that he gives. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves when we grow in arrogance. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves when we fail in sins, sins that we thought we would never do, that God has already loved us and he forgives us past, present, and future. The motivation for us to share the gospel is none other than the gospel itself. It's none other than the good news of Jesus Christ. And Paul begins to give this to him and saying, do whatever you can, like an athlete, train, go without, do more, whatever it is you can do to constantly realign yourself with and in the person and work of Jesus Christ because he loves you. Amen? And so Paul gives us this. And so intentionality and flexibility, that we love people for who they are, no bait and switch, we just love them. It's not like, hey, we're going to invite you over for dinner. Now that you're here, let me, no, we're inviting you over for dinner. <laughs> and then lastly, that we preach the gospel to ourselves. Now I want to I conclude by, by um, having two questions here that we'll walk through that are usually asked. The first question that comes up is, what if I don't know enough to share? Like, that's great, Ricardo, you share your stories, but you're a pastor, and that's great that the Apostle Paul shares his story. I'm not like the Apostle Paul. I'm a mom. I'm a husband. I don't have a lot of time. I don't know a whole lot. What do I do? First of all, just really short, if you know enough to be a Christian, then you know enough to tell someone about Jesus. Second thing is, you should continue to read your Bible and get to know. You should read books and get to know. You really should. You really should. And we're putting together classes and stuff to grow you in that and give you the tools and resources for that. Um, um, and when someone asks you, like, you'll get questions that, that stump you. Like, what about this? If you don't know, just say this. I don't know, right? Don't start making stuff up, right? <laughs> um, and, and part of it is because a lot of times people get frustrated because they're insecure about knowing the answer instead of just saying, I don't know. We get riled up and we go, because I know, because I believe it in my heart. And then there's a plenty, plenty, of, plenty of people look at that and go, yeah, that's why Christianity has no intellectual arguments and so forth. And that's not true. Just say you don't know, and then come to one of us or come to somebody that can help you and go, all right, here's what I do know now. Or I wrestle with that as well. Just be honest. Um, When it comes to that, say what you do know. And no more. And no more. Um, Here's 10 things here that I got from Tim Keller and how to share that I think is helpful. And these are not, this is something everybody can do. One, let people around you know that you are a Christian in a natural, unforced way, Okay. Remember when I first became a Christian, I tried to let everybody know, and like we'd be eating dinner. It's like, oh, are those peas? Oh, those peas are in the shape of a J. Jesus. Let me. <laughs> Number two, ask friends about their faith and, and just listen. All right? Listen to your friends' problems. Maybe offer to pray for them. Uh, number four, by the way, I'm going to put these all online. Uh, they'll be online tomorrow. Uh, share your problems with others. Testify to how your faith helps you. Uh, give them a book to read. Share your story. Answer objections and questions if you can. Invite them to a church event. I don't know, first Wednesdays or something like that. Um, offer, the, offer to read the Bible with them. Um, and when you, not just teach them, just read a scripture and say, hey, what do you guys think about that? Um, that's something I'm doing with three of the relationships I'm in with people that are, we're in this process together, and they found that to be pretty valuable instead of just me going, well, let me tell you what it means first. Well, what do you think it means? Um, and then, then, then tell them what it means. <laughs> um, number 10 is it's taken to an explore course. And this is something, like I said, we're working on to have these courses where Christians and um, curious people can come in to begin to think about who Christ is and so forth. And there's also venues for that to be able to happen now. So those are 10 areas to be in the area of faith. This next question is a little bit longer here. Um, and this is, shouldn't Christians just be tolerant? 
right? Why are you talking about evangelizing and share your faith? Why, why do you feel the need to convince me that I should be a Christian? Goodness, can you just do your thing and let it be you and keep it private and, and all of those things? Um, and, and normally what happens when we think about this, this conversation about being tolerant, um, there's usually a bumper sticker or a picture that we've seen before that, that usually looks like this. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. And let me finish this out before you start throwing things at me, some of you guys. I don't think the gospel is necessarily inconsistent with this. All right? <laughs> Here's what I mean. When it comes to the word tolerant, which our culture is very, very be tolerant, be tolerant, we, we have to understand that there are kind of two views on tolerance. There's the old or classical view on tolerance. That particular view says that people should have the freedom to have their own opinions and exist with one another. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, that was very, very uniquely Judeo-Christian. It's, it's things that we see in the foundation of our country. We see that in the Roman Greco world. We see it in the Persian world. We see even in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't come and say, let me just ridicule and criticize every single one of the gods here. No, he elevated who he was as God. He did not by any means get rid of what he wanted to teach, but, he, but at the same time, he let people coexist because God himself created us with volition. That means the ability to choose. And so what usually happens in, in terms of um, old or classic tolerism, it's for people um, of different faiths and beliefs and religions to care for the common good or the social good. And so some of the, the, the relationships we're a part of, if I take the Muhammad, who's the imam at the, uh, the big mosque here in Tempe uh, near ASU, um, he, he would say, yeah, for social good, let's do it. Let's care for the people around us in that way. But you, you make sure you tell me about Jesus the way that you believe him, and I'm going to tell you about Islam the way I believe. We're, we're not going to say we're, the same. we're not the same. So when it comes to that particular tolerism, um, where you are, you're free to have your own opinions and beliefs and exist, by all means. The reason why I don't have the sticker is because oftentimes the sticker communicates what is known usually as new tolerance. And here's what this means. This is usually that all opinions and beliefs are equally valid and true. And usually this is summed up with religious pluralism, which oftentimes seems to be enlightened and humble and, and so forth. But when you begin to think about it and see its implications, there's contradictions. <laughs> because there's no way you can say that every opinion and, and belief is equally valid and true. You know why? Because not every religion says that they're equally valid and true. So Iman, the Iman uh, Muhammad, he would tell me, Ricardo, I think you're going to hell because of what you believe. And I think you think I'm going to hell for what I believe. I love you and you love me, but let's not pretend. <laughs> because what I believe about God is different than what you believe about God. When I think about the, the, the rabbi, and I know this is not some lame joke, right? We are, there's, there's actually people like, like that, right? That he, 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 he believes, what he believes about God, it's different. It's different. So you can't say they're equally va valid and they're, um, they're all equally true. And so it's, it's not as intellectual as it seems. The second part is it begins to seem like it's really humble. On the surface, it seems like, hey, can we all just get along? And they would say Christianity, all the arrogance in Christianity. You say that there's only one way to salvation, and it's through Jesus. How arrogant is that? How, how could you make that truth claim? But the reality of it is they're making the same truth claim. When your professors and people tell you there's no such thing as absolute truths, that is an absolute truth statement, claim that they're saying. So when they say, okay, um, you can't have, say that Jesus is the only way, what you need to do is believe that all the ways are true. That's a claim. You're actually telling me that I'm wrong and that you're right. And so when it comes to that, I don't even, I, I, I don't think that Christians should be tolerant in the latter way. I think in the former way of caring for people, loving people where they are, letting them believe what they believe, being honest about Jesus, 
being honest about who he is and what the gospel tells him, sharing your faith, absolutely. Forcing it upon him, absolutely not. But being quiet in such a way that you no longer begin to hold out the truth claims of Christ, I would say that that's the antithesis of what it means to be someone who shares the gospel of Jesus. And I want to end with this. There is a guy, this video was out a few years ago, Penn from Penn and Gillette. Um, he talks about um, how, he's an atheist, how someone comes to him, gives him the Bible, and he talks about what it looks like and what it should like for people who actually believe in absolutes to tell about their absolute truths. If you want to go and play that. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought I said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. It was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. So <clears throat> that's pretty powerful from someone who doesn't believe in God. Uh, and if we just took what he said, look people in the eyes, look them in the eyes, and be sane, <laughs> and tell them about Jesus, all right? And when, when it comes to what we do as followers of Christ, be intentional, guys, and flexible. Love people for just who they are, whether they become Christians or not. Love them. And then lastly, make sure you believe what you believe. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you loved us so much that you didn't wait on us to figure it out. We were never going to figure it out, God. And on the cross, Lord, you were not waiting for us, but you were dying for us while we were still sinners. And the picture and the image of us were not people running towards you, but shaking our fist against you. That you've given us the example. You've given us the motivation of what love is like. You've given us the person in Christ and you've given us the power in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for 
those who are here that get a chance to hear of you for the first time as they wrestle with their questions that you would reveal truth. Lord, keep us humble, Lord, in your grace. God, keep us humble in your word. And as we go to Super Bowl parties and hang out with people, Lord, that we would intentionally think about being present, being faithful to you, and loving the other in the same way that you've loved us. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.